Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Today, we have with us Sergey, who's one of the creators of Test Containers. And I've been a huge fan of Test Containers since I started using it a couple of years ago. And I think that I was just starting to use it when I first met you in person. Maybe the only time I met you in person, which was at DevOps, uh, Pol- or DevOps um, Belgium in 2019. So one of the last conferences uh, that we probably went to. And um, so anyways, it's great to have you on. I, I'm a huge fan of Test Containers. And so I wanted to have you to chat about that. And Serge, do you not know how to pronounce his last name, or you just... I don't even know his last name. What He's is just... your last name, Sergey? <laughs> Igorov. Okay. Igorov. Yeah. Oh, okay. that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I was imagining the spelling in my head. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it was to... it's so funny, because I don't know... I just don't even know most people's last names that we have on the podcast. There's a lot of times I have to go like look up their last names when I create the episodes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just know people by their first name. You're a first name kind of guy. Um, Okay. So I'm going to, I, you know, James has talked about test containers and I go, it's probably not something that applies to me. So I have never like, what problem are you solving with test containers? What's Mm -hmm. the pain point? So straight to uh, straight to the main section. I like it. Uh, <laughs> and first of all, like thanks for having me. Like really, really happy to be here. And yesterday, James was on our uh, live show, so it's great to have this conversation back and talk a little bit about more like of the basics uh, basics of test containers. Mm-hmm. Now and, we get to hear. Uh, yesterday, I talked a lot. Now we get to hear from from you today. Be great. Sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> I'm the talking guy. So um, first of all, like. I'm Sergey, uh, one of uh, Test Containers team members, and uh, I've been with Test Containers for the past almost six years. So I've been saying five years, but now we're getting closer to uh, six. I didn't uh, realize Test size. Containers has existed that long. Yeah, it started so in I, 2000. I feel like I'm now I'm like late into the game. Like the fact that I've only been <laughs> using it a couple of years, like like I yeah, it's like usually I'm bleeding edge, That's but it turns right. out no, I was like not even close to bleeding edge. but you managed to catch up with everything in the test containers community very fast and then created your own uh, movements i would say but we can talk about it later Um, but test containers was created in 2015 by richard norris uh, who is also a co-founder of the company we are in right now uh atomic jar the company behind test containers um but he created he created it to solve his own uh problem um he was having while at deloitte digital um he needed to solve the problem of integration testing because that's what they were doing um, uh, at uh, his team. Uh, and um, they were doing consulting for others. So we we're working on many projects, but all these projects shared the same problem. Like, how do we test the software that we ship? Because you have two options. Option number one, you test in production, aka no testing. You just <laughs> ship it, and then you keep your fingers crossed that uh, everything will be working correctly. You have to be, you know, like, you have to be genius to write code that works from the first attempt. And I don't think anyone in the world can do that. Um, so based on the number testing, of updates I get on my phone for apps that say bug fixes <laughs> and performance improvements, I'm guessing that, that yeah, most people don't get production right the first time and or remind the second me, time or the hundredth time. When you say integration testing, you mean, okay, we have the software, we think it works, and now we're going to make sure that it, actually works in something similar to the production environment 
Is that integration testing? Or I are guess you the biggest the point. Features or mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. I guess uh, the biggest point here is that, like, uh, since we have the stages or like levels of testing, we can do unit testing where we just test our code and nothing but code, and then we make a lot of assumptions about things and how they work. Especially when we talk about modern microservices, that usually what they do, they just, I know, take some data from a database, run some transformations, and return it as I know JSON to some HTTP endpoint um, or send it to Kafka. And uh, since we are talking about some thin uh, wrappers around the data, we need to make sure that we properly test it. Because yes, we can unit test some transformations, like how we turn this object into some detail. We can unit test it because it's all code. But it's it's a bit challenging to unit test external dependencies. Like for example, how do we test that Postgres? would execute this query correctly. We cannot just say that if I send this text to the database, then I will always get this response because that's an assumption. Yeah. And getting rid of assumptions is the best way to improve your testing. Like the less assumptions you have in your test, the better. Like you cannot assume that database will always return this result, nor you can assume that it will return it in a timely manner. For example, like sometimes it takes longer to execute queries uh, and so on and so forth. And so let me, this let is me where... frame this in, a, in another way, which will be relevant to our book. So we're writing a book about effect-oriented programming. And uh, in, in this model, we have pure functions, and then we have effectful functions. And mm -hmm. so your pure functions can be tested entirely with unit tests, because mm -hmm. there's no external dependencies, mm -hmm. because they're pure. Your effectful functions can, can only, well, you could either create mock um, uh, mock, data. mock services mm -hmm. for the effect parts of it, uh, but that's not actually testing that the effect actually works against the external service. Right. And so the integration test would be to plug in your live service into your effectful functions, and that would be the integration test. Would mm -hmm. would be when you actually use the live service. Mm -hmm. And so, the you know databases are typically mutable. So they are typically they are yeah. yeah yeah otherwise you could just write a function to represent the database <laughs> yeah could you write a function yeah exactly so your integration tests are the are the effectful testing the effectful pieces mm -hmm. like you could write an integration test against random a random service that actually would test that your random is okay. valid all right okay I think that's clear yeah and... I like this analogy with pure functions actually because that's indeed the case like. You cannot uh, assume side effects. You need to bring them to make sure that your uh, pure functions, or sorry, your uh, code is tested correctly. Yeah. Unless it's composed of pure functions only, but it isn't the case uh, sometimes, or most of the times. So I've never services. seen any useful system that was only pure functions. Um, Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin mining. <laughs> Nothing goes isn't in, there a distributed <laughs> aspect of Bitcoin? Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, interesting. I'll yeah. have to noodle that one a little bit. <laughs> and that that's it. We jump onto web web three discussions, right? <laughs> that's right. Web so three. NFTs, oh, okay. uh, let's mine some tests. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so okay, so we've got mm -hmm. our integration tests. And uh Richard, one of the other co-creators of test containers, or maybe the initial creator of test containers, he was not happy with how integration tests were something about integration tests. So then what happened? Mm -hmm. um, 
Back then in 2015, Docker wasn't something that's deployed to the majority of production systems, but rather something new and emerging. And while uh, there wasn't you know, this widespread readiness to have uh, Docker in production, people started realizing that Docker is overall a great idea and great technology and starting adopting it more and more in various areas. And for Richard, this area was integration testing because he was lacking this abstraction for running integration tests. Like um, you, like before test containers, before Docker, you had to set up local testing environments uh, yourself, like manually. And then you had to do the same uh, on your CI systems. And then like you submit this Jira ticket asking for your sysadmin to create or like to configure Postgres on Jenkins node ABC. One month later, you get uh, it configured and you're already migrating to the next version of Postgres. So you submit a new, new ticket asking that, could you please update Postgres to that version one month later? And you get a money mini. So um, having consistency across your local dev, your CI, and your production was a significant challenge that most people just said, eh, too hard. Yeah. Okay. I that would call doesn't it scale well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, with Docker, that's a different story. You just need to ask someone to provide Docker. Like As long as you have Docker, you're good to go. And Docker is a great abstraction, but uh, it is an abstraction. It's not as low level as using, I don't know, jails or some other continuization technologies, LXC and others, but then it's still an abstraction. Uh, and as it happens with abstractions, uh, we create more abstractions on top of abstractions. And that was uh, his idea. Why don't we create an abstraction on top of Docker for testing? And since he was a developer with a developer mindset, and uh, he'd been also pretty advanced when it comes to uh, running things, but also uh, writing tests and creating uh, them, he realized that uh, the most flexible way would be to create these databases, brokers, and what's not directly from tests because Docker exposes an API then we can talk to uh, HTTP API from Java. So why do we need a CLI? Why do we need Docker Compose or back then Fig? And why do we need all these other technologies if we can talk directly to Docker? Because then we gain a lot of flexibility. We are starting to do, starting to do this imperative approach, like programmatic approach to creating test environments versus uh, having something declarative where we would describe uh, our ideal test environment and start it. Uh, and then you need a separate tool to start before your test, stop after the test. Then if you need, let's say, a database per test, you start wondering, how do I do that? While with programmatic approach, it's up to you when, how, and uh, what to start. Uh, and that's test containers, basically. That's your interface to Docker for testing that removes uh, or like adds additional abstraction on top of Docker and makes you care less about what's going on under the hood and makes it as simple as having Docker available. Yeah, is that? <laughs> uh, so, so, so you're adapting Docker to be the test container. Is that what it is? Is I mean, this is on top of Docker. On top of Docker. On top of Docker. Yeah. But so from my standpoint as, okay, I'm the application I'm running inside of Docker. I want to make a, you know, I want to interact with the database. So what I'm interacting with is the test container that looks like the database. 
is is actually the database. It is the database, yeah. but it's what's it doing? I mean, is it connected to the real database, or is it just a clone the real database so that it can behave like the it? Thing or? is, it is an instance of the same database technologies that you're running in production because. Now that we have Docker and all these images, such as Kafka, Postgres, Oracle, DB2, and others, we can actually start an ephemeral uh, instance of uh, our database that we use in production, but locally. Not exactly the same way. We don't need to start large clusters of uh, Oracle instances just if we need to uh, query something simple from them. We can start as simple as just a single instance as long as we are running the same thing. Not something that uh, quacks and uh, do other things uh, as my uh, production database. So for example, one could say that, hey, why do we need Postgres? I could just run H2 in Postgres compatibility mode, right? And while that applies to 90% of uh, usages, you'll always be hitting this remaining 10% implementation details because as I, it I happens I seem to run into everything. this every single time. Like if, if you frame it as a 90% problem or a 10% problem where like I would, when I use Postgres, I'm always like adding in, uh, you know, like the GIS module or adding in some some module into mm -hmm. Postgres, into my Postgres database. And of course, H2 doesn't understand those Postgres extensions. And so I like, Every time, uh, or like I'm, I use uh, the JSON B support in Postgres, and mm -hmm. so of course H2 doesn't like understand Postgres JSON B support, or you know whatever it may be. But it seemed like every time, like for me, it wasn't ten percent of the time. It was every time <laughs> I would, I wasn't able to use H2 as an accurate uh, alternative mm -hmm. to Postgres. So it is. So the test container somehow clones the database. It doesn't clone. It just is the Docker container for Postgres. So all of the all of the major uh, backing services like Postgres, Kafka, whatever, they all have Docker containers. And so you can spin those up on your local machine or in your CI environment and get a database. But you still need to populate it with your schema if it's a database and populate it with test data, that sort of thing. And any and you're saying any add-ons that you put into the database. Yeah. But but isn't is that part of the configuration for the test container to do that? Is extensions? Is there a way with the Postgres container test container to add Postgres extensions in? Actually, I haven't done that. Um, we don't have this programmatic API for that. But since we are operating on abstraction of Docker images, you can build your That's own right. Docker you image do. that would include all the extensions that you need. Or you could do it at runtime uh, when you start the container, then you deploy extensions to the running container because you have Actually, an I actual think I have instance done this of Postgres. And I did it through just like a, like in test containers, you can run a bash, a set of bash commands mm -hmm. after the the container is started, right? And so mm -hmm. then then that allows you to to add in the extensions that you may want. So and I'm assuming this, it's keeping this thing running throughout your whole local testing process. So if you made a change, it wouldn't have to spin it up again. Is that right? So or? part of the cool thing about test containers is that it moves the lifecycle management into your development workflow and into your code versus it being an external thing. So if you were building a database application, 
the traditional way that you would do it is you would install your database on your machine, you would start it up, and then you're fully responsible for manage, managing the lifecycle. If you, the, there may be times where you have to like blow it away and start it back up. And in the um, case of test containers, that whole lifecycle is managed by your code and your program. So you configure so, how it's going to. That's right. Whether it's going to blow it away for every test or whether it's going to mm -hmm. keep it. That's right. There. Okay. Yeah. So the life the lifecycle management moves into your project versus it being an external thing. Mm. Mm -hmm. And we also have some components in test containers that will make sure that you never leave anything uh, behind your test run. Um, so, or after your test run, sorry, um, meaning that, let's say, for testing, I would argue that the most important thing isn't even starting things, but rather destroying them. And it's especially, especially important for CI environments because uh, there are so many ways how things may go wrong, like your CI executor may crash. And then if you have an external um, abstraction, such as Docker, you may end up having dangling containers, like containers that are no longer owned by anyone yet are still running. And then you will see a degraded performance of your CI environments, and you would be wondering what's, what happened. And apparently someone just killed a job on Jenkins. And then when you kill a job, then it will receive a Q9 signal, meaning that your GVM, for example, won't even attempt to run um, shutdown yeah. hooks. Yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, that's how we initially implemented cleanup cleanup mechanism in test containers, and uh -huh. ended up getting requests uh, or like reports by our users that, hey, apparently Resources I have some dangling up. containers. Yeah, yeah, and mm -hmm. we started thinking like, what can we do about it? Because uh, yes, we are part of the test run, which is uh, an advantage and in a way a disadvantage because we have no control of what's going on outside of the test lifecycle. Uh, or a test session lifecycle uh, outside of the GVM that runs the test. And we need to somehow control it even beyond the test run. Uh, we want to make sure that even if something happened to the test machine or test uh, GVM, then we would still destroy uh, the containers. This is how we ended up adding components that's called Ryuk uh, to test containers. I've seen and, the Ryuk uh, container running. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have questions about that, but, but yeah, go on. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's a very geeky thing, uh, and I'll explain the naming in a second, but uh, the point of that container is to record every container that we start. And as I said, it's a container. So it's not part of the GVM process, but something that we start because we already have access to the container technology. And then we record everything we start, and then we maintain a persistent connection between the test session and that container. And if the connection drops, and if it never gets uh, gets reinstantiated, we detect that something happened to the test host, and we start destroying every resource that got recorded to um, to that container. So that we so it's always cool. there's this up. container that runs and is the coordinator of the application and what it's doing and the dependency containers that it is managing for that like test session yeah. so that's what the ryuk piece and mm -hmm. so it's it's keeping track of the state keeping track of the connection liveness and then you if you actually like are watching your docker containers to see what's running, you'll see the Ryuk process running. And then you'll see as you run your tests, your Postgres container spins up, your Kafka container spins up, whatever. And then as soon as your test stops, Ryuk then goes and shuts all those down. So the unreliability of the network is a feature in this case. That's what you use to queue <laughs> to know. If, to know yeah. you go, okay, we don't know anything now. Connection's gone. Connection's lost. So we're just gonna the... assume 
they either decided to shut down or they wanted to shut down or something went wrong. Yeah. So we're just going to shut everything down and make sure cleanup happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So a big part and, of test containers is that like resource management of all of the underlying containers that you need. And a really cool thing that you can do with test containers is because test containers is managing not just the life cycle of the container, but also managing the configuration of the container. Mm -hmm. So for example, usually when you run, we keep using Postgres as an example, that's a good that's one, fine. but uh, usually when you start up your Postgres server, it runs on port 5432, is that right? Mm -hmm. 5432. Yep. And so, you can only use that port once. And so let's say you wanted to run multiple Postgres instances in parallel, that becomes challenging and you have to like go figure out how to like change Put it the on port. A and, port you know. Well, test containers can just say, all right, you run on this port, you run on this port, you run on this port. And so it's controlling all the ports and the port mappings and giving your tests that information about what port things are running on so that it your application doesn't care and Ryuk and test containers right. have, have managed it. And so if you want to run things in parallel, you can. <laughs> yeah, the number of the port and where the port is is a level of abstraction that's inappropriate. Exactly. To, to yep. have to mm -hmm. deal with. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And one could ask, why don't you call it Watchdog? And I wish you asked this question when we were considering the naming for this component, because it's a totally appropriate name. It is a watchdog, uh, and a you will find yeah. watchdogs in many other systems. But somehow that didn't come uh, to our minds. But it was a great suggestion by Richard, and we are we are geeks here in our <laughs> Task Containers core team that consists of Richard, uh, Kevin Wittig, and uh, myself. And um, Richard suggested, oh. and his question was like, "Have you watched Death Note?" And that's a manga, like popular manga, um, uh, like one, one of the most popular ones, I believe. And the point is that, uh, I mean, it's, as I said, it's very geeky, but uh, the point is that there was a Death Note and then every name that gets recorded in Death, Death Note, uh, like that person will eventually, like something will happen to them. He'll either uh, like die or get killed, uh, but, you know, like eventually he will be terminated. Okay. And Rook was the god of death. So like that one who would be executing. <laughs> wow. And yes, as so I said, very geeky about Yes. Okay. Uh, the analogy was so good because that's yeah. exactly what we are doing. We're just recording all these containers to the death node. And then eventually we uh, like there is like, like it's guaranteed that they will be uh, killed. Uh, and I'm talking about containers, so I can use this word, but yeah. uh, it's a bit of, you know, like uh, hard uh, wording for this abstraction. But on the other hand, it was fun. And as I said, we are geeks, so we're still having some fun yeah. uh, in internally. You know, so implementations. In, in that, um, the Ryuk node, the, the, that container that runs, that because it runs in a container is has a bunch of, logic in it and it's reusable across test containers for jvm versus go versus node versus whatever because test containers can be used python is it how's the python no, uh, modules for for test containers it's one of the earliest mod, uh, alternative uh, versions of test containers so we started with java or richard started with java but then test containers python got created uh test containers going test containers node.js test containers rust even haskell we have test containers Haskell uh, created by some um, community member, but 
that's a cool thing. And this is how readme for task containers going starts. Uh, one of uh, our users, um, he was enjoying the Java version, but then he started working on a Golang uh, code base, and he was lacking this experience of running tasks with task containers. So what he did, he ported uh, the ideas from task containers Java to task to Golang language, and then uh, that's how uh, task containers Golang got created. Now it's second most popular version of task containers after the Java version. Ah, cool. Hmm. But it's cool that the Ryuk piece can be reused across all those. And so you don't have to rewrite that mm -hmm. since itself, it runs in, in a container, which is portable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And cool. it is very lightweight. Uh, we were using Golang to implement it so that we aren't adding overhead to um, the set of containers uh, that are being started. Because we understand that not everyone will have Docker with 16 gigs of RAM. Some would run it on Mac, on Windows. They would allocate under four gigs of RAM for everything. And uh, considering these limitations, we wanted to make sure that we aren't starting, let's say, I know, a Java process uh, that requires some memory to start, which is fine because then we get awesome performance. But where performance isn't that needed, we could also go for something uh, more lightweight. Now we have GraalVM, so it would be easier. Yeah, but... I was just going to say, you've got Oleg working there. So Oleg used to work at Oracle mm -hmm. on, on GraalVM native image and mm. GraalVM stuff. But, but hey, we should uh, try to rewrite this in Kotlin and with GraalVM native image. So. <laughs> I'm sure I would understand it then. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and the company, how long is the company uh, and, and what's it called again? So Atomic Jar is Atomic a company who started earlier this year uh, oh. in March, uh, oh, actually. Okay. Um, and uh, we closed our seed round in uh, June. And uh, we've been working on uh, our product for Task Containers users. Uh, and we just announced uh, the private beta of Task Containers Cloud, which is basically the managed version of the same experience. So instead of running your containers on your local Docker or Docker available in your CI environment, you would just run it on a remotely available environment that we start uh, on demand. Uh, so Sorry, I'm, I'm dropping some uh, buzzwords here, but it's similar to serverless approach to integration testing. There is no server to think about because Docker is a server component and not everyone feels comfortable about running Docker in their CI environments, for example, or even locally, or sometimes they simply cannot. Like let's say when I started prototyping uh, our product, exactly one year ago, um, which is funny because it was exactly 17th of December when oh, uh, nice. I had my Hello World commit. Um, I had Apple M1. Stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah. I had or I got myself uh, an Apple M1 machine uh, and it's ARM based and it's super cool, it's super fast, but then I realized that I cannot run my own uh, task. Like, a year ago, there was not one support for Docker yet. And so you couldn't run Docker on your brand new M1 Mac. And so- Yes, that yeah. was a bummer. Uh, and ever since then, uh, I was very motivated to get Task Containers Cloud running uh, an MVP of it, just so that I can run my own task. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. So you guys decided, and there's three of you in the company. 10, 10 of there's us. 10, yeah, there's, there's, there's 10, okay. And when you started it before you went and got um, investment, mm -hmm. it, how many were there? So um, the thing is, our team kind of, uh, like Richard, Kevin, and I, uh, we've been working together for the past, uh, so I've been working with Richard for the past, past five years. Kevin joined us around four years ago. 
And we've been always collaborating on task containers in our spare time. It's and we like were your, always your hobby was was working on yes. test containers. <laughs> yes. Um, so we we were always working together, but not like a company. It's rather just like on some spare time we do some things. And um, when uh, so more than one year ago, uh, I decided to uh, like explore no, new opportunities because uh, I've been pivotals and pivotal got acquired by VMware, and VMware was too big for me. So I started thinking what would be the next thing for me. Um, I got approached by some of Test Containers users, and um, it all does that uh, he he's running his business, uh, and they migrated the whole company to Test Containers. They're so happy with it; they see the value. And uh, he's also an angel investor, and he asked me like, "Hey, instead of uh, trying to find a new job, don't you want to start your own company?" <laughs> I was like, mm, that's, "That's that's an interesting idea. Let's let's talk." And then I shared some of the product ideas we had um, because. I have a few, but obviously we need to start with one. Uh, and it got, it got him excited. Um, this is how we ended up thinking about uh, the company. And um, later, I I mean, I, I instantly communicated to uh, the rest of the uh, core maintainers team. Um, but then we ended up uh, co-founding the team together with Richard. Um, and Kevin joined us as an engineer uh, once we closed our seed round. Um, and then we started hiring from uh, our existing community uh, of uh, task containers uh, users. So every single team member, every single engineer on our team, they've been using task containers. Uh, and there is also a funny story uh, when one of our non-engineering team members, uh, she learned that her landlord, he is a user of test containers. No way. Just imagine talking to your landlord and mentioning <laughs> that you're working for a company uh, behind test containers. You're like, oh, wow, I know this technology. I'm using it. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, well, huh. <laughs> so you, go ahead. Um, okay. So you di so did you start with the angel investor? Is that what happened? We considered starting small, yeah. but then uh, got some traction, got some introductions, and ended up uh, like, we initially were thinking about small check from an angel investor. Mm -hmm. Then we decided we want to go VC round. Uh, and uh, we thought like, okay, raising $1 million would be incredibly cool because like that's $1 million idea. Like a lot right? of money, right? Yes, that's a lot of money. And the angel indeed. investor said, no, no, go for $10 million or something <laughs> like that. No, it wasn't. It wasn't his call, but rather uh, us talking to more and more people. And eventually we were asked why so little? What? Like that's yeah. It that's isn't. A lot. It isn't. It isn't small no. amount. Like, uh, but um, I made a good point that we have something big here, and uh, like to implement something big, you you need a decent uh, investment, and this is how we ended up closing our seed round of four million dollars, and we got very lucky because uh, thanks to our network, thanks to introductions, we uh, were able to get in contact with uh, Boltstart, uh, our lead investor, who were just named uh, the best seed investor, just in general, not only in DevTools, but in general, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. But I can definitely say that they are really, really good because our initial thinking about VC companies was somehow affected by public opinions uh, about them, right? Like everyone would tell you that if you go the VC route, then you always be pushed for, you know, like, increment your revenue or like uh, increase your revenue just uh, you know like i don't know 
Yeah, you know, there's some uh, significant downsides. To I've gone the through the whole process myself of initially going, oh, the vent- vulture capitalists, and vulture all that capitalists. Kind of I haven't heard yeah. that. Oh yeah, they're just they're you know they're just in it, and then eventually you begin to realize, oh well, but these are different. Com- they're just companies, and they're different groups of people, and they all have their own characteristics, and you have to find one that is a good fit for you. <laughs> and lump them all into... And, well, right. Rather yeah. than just go, oh, I have some money, I'll put it in there, and then I'll, I'll annoy you about you're not making money, my money back <laughs> mm-hmm. fast enough. And you, you have to understand, you know, it's like, well, they're investing, and if they're lucky, if they're good at what they do, they might get one in 10 and the other nine are going to be failures and there's all this. Mm-hmm. And, and then you begin to understand and you go, oh, a good VC is what you want. You, you don't want the one that necessarily offers the most money or anything. You want the one that works with you and helps you and is, you know, shepherding you to success. And yes. then, then it's a whole different way of thinking about it. Yeah. You go, oh, it can that be is something valuable. that really helps you. Well, versus... that's what you want. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. you want. You don't just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, how cool is my... it that, that you um, were able to find, I, th- I think, a real product and business mm-hmm. model around test containers that that existed? Like, I've spent a lot of my time working on web jars which I think you're familiar mm-hmm. with web jars and, and it's a fun hobby and, and all that. And I've been asked a few times like, Oh, could you like create a business around web jars? And I'm like, I can't think of any like legitimate business model around this <laughs> open source project, but test containers, it seems like there's some, some pretty good and pretty yeah. obvious, like, like real viable business models. And around, so what is, is cool. your, so is it the, um, the service in the cloud that you pay for? Is that the business model? So, um, yes, it's the model where you would pay for, um, for the execution of your tasks. Um, and by the way, if you're not running your tasks, you aren't paying for anything, which is great because, uh, uh, we understand that, uh, especially for developers, like some may just, you know, like run tests one per week because so that's how they develop while others, they would be running like tests every hour or like every minute, uh, because they're very active with that. Serverless and... integration tests. Mm. That's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And. But I would think also that people would maybe want consulting. And that's something we've been considering uh, even like some years before we even started the company because we noticed a lot of traction going on. Like uh, test containers uh, started growing very fast and uh, like a lot of companies, a lot of integrations, like it eventually became the go-to solution for testing that is also advertised by uh, biggest frameworks out there like Spring, for example, they were recommending test containers. Uh, Red Hat and their products, they were also, or their projects, they were also recommending test containers. And when you get that level of traction, you start noticing that, okay, like there is an opportunity. But the thing with uh, consulting, for example, and that's another way of starting a company, you could bootstrap it and then start selling consulting, maybe building some products on your spare time uh, between the consulting gigs. But it takes a lot of effort and it doesn't scale well, especially when you have a topic that is very specific, like especially when you create a new category of uh, something. And while... Um, for a big company, uh, it makes some sense to start selling support uh, for uh, their project. Selling software nowadays, uh, so, for, so one, one thing is uh, support, another thing, uh, another idea is to sell software, like creating something like 
Test Containers Pro. Uh, and while if you're a big company, it makes sense. Like let's say if Test Containers was a project by, I don't know, VMware, Red Hat, and others, then you would of course expect to see a commercial offering of the project itself. But when you're like starting open, as an open core model mm-hmm. where the, yes, the core yes. is open source and then you provide some value add on, mm-hmm. or on top of it that mm-hmm. you have to pay for. Yeah. But uh, what I learned when I was at Zero Turnaround is that selling software is very hard while selling services like software as a service is uh, much easier to start with. And that's how we end up deciding that our first product will be a SaaS product because it's also the biggest pain of our community. Like they appreciate test containers, they like the model, but then they always come back to us and say, hey, like I'm having issues with Docker or I cannot run Docker in my environment or my Docker keeps getting updated and things get broken. So what should I do? And as an open source project, you don't have that many options. Uh, and we cannot even implement our own Docker because like that's a lot of work. But what we can do, we can just take this problem away from them, put it in our infrastructure. And by the way, due to the specifics, we aren't just a single data center somewhere in the middle of the United States, but in fact, we are an edge platform so that we are bringing workloads close to the users because their task code stays on their machines. And that's a cool thing uh, because first of all, you don't need to change your existing tests. Like you just add test containers cloud to your existing test containers test base, but also you keep your test code, your original source code and everything on your machine. And you only communicate with containers started on our platform. But uh, obviously for that to be efficient, we need to make sure that we aren't talking to data center in the United States from Europe. This is why also for data privacy and other reasons, it's better to be local. And that's what we are doing. And you can integrate this into whatever people are using for their CI system. So if people are on Jenkins, great. Just like throw the the test containers cloud proxy into Jenkins and done. You don't have to think about how those resources get spun up or managed. And but whatever CI system people are using, mm-hmm. um, I guess I need to try the the test containers cloud with like GitHub Actions, and I, I don't mm-hmm. see any reason why it wouldn't work. But but I haven't tried that yet. Mm-hmm. Give that we have turn. some private beta users who've been doing that already, and uh, yeah, what's cool about test containers cloud, uh, the MVP, is that it unlocks so many possibilities. Uh, like we we never we were never thinking before. Like for example running integration tests in parallel. Because like, if you would run your containers on the same machine as your tests, then containers most probably will consume 100% of CPU of your machine because they actually are heavyweight. And if you run your tests in parallel, then your CPU will always be shared between containers and the tests, so they won't be as efficient. While if you move the workloads to some other machine, especially high-performance hardware uh, that is as close, like your Docker will be as close to uh, the hardware as possible, as opposed to running virtualization Mac, for example. Um, then you can dedicate 100% of CPU to your tasks, or maybe not 100% of CPU. Maybe you want to scroll Twitter and read Facebook and do things while you're running tests. Why not? Because if previously you run your tests and then fans start spinning and you just wait for them to finish, now you aren't adding this load on your machine from containers because they're no longer on your machine. And that's one way of uh, doing it. So let's say that you had a hundred tests that you wanted to run isolated against uh, in their own versions of Postgres or whatever. 
And you could run all those sequential, but that would take a long time. So now you can just say, all right, test containers cloud, spin up a hundred instances of Postgres and run all of those in parallel. And and those resources are no so longer each being test used on, is running in its yeah. own instance. Yep. Huh. If you wanted isolation of your of your test. Well, isolation and, and speed, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some tests you do sequential, you know, they have to be sequential. Like you're going to, you know, mm -hmm, add a row mm -hmm. to a database and then right. do another test to make sure it's still sure, there. And of course. All that. But, but in cases where the, you can't have isolation, run them in parallel and let the cloud spin up as many instances <laughs> as you want to pay for. So you said, you said earlier that you were in a company, it got acquired and that company was too big for you. Mm -hmm. And now you're starting your own company and you have 10 people. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about, um, I don't know, are you going to go with the normal hierarchical business structure or have you thought about, you know, maybe doing something different so you don't get that too big feeling again? Well, the good thing about, the cool thing about being a startup is that it can be uh, like as agile as possible and as casual as possible. So currently we don't have any hierarchy and uh, we just work alongside each other. And uh, the hierarchies, I think, is something that should happen uh, essentially and not like being forced to happen. So if we see it some days that someone would want to see someone on top of them, just you know, like as a proxy so that uh, you're not reporting directly, but you get more structured feedback from uh, someone uh, like some decision maker than like, let's say, engineers, the more we grow the engineering team, the more we have a need for engineering manager, like head of development, for example, head of engineering, because then if you get feedback directly from product owner, then you may not be ready for this feedback. This feedback may not may be too big for you because it includes some product vision, some strategy and everything. And you need someone who would proxy this feedback for you. You need someone who would ignore uh, the product vision part, which is important for consideration, but not important for the implementation. And then we turn this knowledge into actionable items for you as an engineer. Um, but we believe that when we will need it, uh, then this will be a signal coming from the team versus something that comes from the management saying that we are introducing this manager uh, between us and you just because we decided to do so. And um, of course, there will be scalability uh, questions like how to scale a team to, okay, currently we are 10 and it's, uh, it's man manageable. Like when you have 10 people, it's basically a team, uh, like a single team. But then more products you have, more people you have, like when you are, I don't know, 30 engineers, it's impossible to manage them all at once, not to mention having direct reports. But um, that's something that we'll learn over time and we'll see. It's interesting because the way you described the manager's job was more of an information filter guardian kind of thing. And you didn't. You called him a decision maker, but you didn't actually describe any decisions other than being a filter, not telling people what to do, just helping um, them with information, information. processing, yeah. mm -hmm. saying, okay, I'm going to say that that I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, add that to their burden, this particular information, whereas this information they do need to know. 
Well, I think a lot of your organizational experience comes out of open source and how mm-hmm. information kind of flows and is managed and scaled in open source. And I, I think that it, that's influenced your perspective that it's like, let's let's go to the level of what people need. And if people need an information filter, then you can put an information filter in place. But yeah. they don't have to mm-hmm. be a decision maker. Mm-hmm. Well, That's but uh, the, en- the engineers may say, we need somebody to make these decisions for us because we don't want to be responsible. I don't know if that's a reality or not, but I don't know. I guess in. Well, if the engineers want the hierarchy, yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, mm-hmm. that's it. That's, that's what I encountered is that yeah. you, just because you don't want the hierarchy doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that the people who, who are quote unquote under you don't want the hierarchy. They may feel more comfortable with mm-hmm. having a Because that's that what they know. That's what they're used to. Yes. Yeah. And our thinking about our own company definitely comes from our experiences of being engineers in teams and being employees uh, and not like business owners, because it's our first first time experience of running a business. And while uh, both of us, Richard and I, we had an experience of running teams and working in uh, fast-growing startups, bootstrapping the teams and everything, um, we're st- we were still lacking this uh, experience of just being like the owners of the business. And uh, the best way to learn something is obviously, first of all, to learn from others' experiences and uh, also to um, kind of to think what how how would you like to see yourself uh like if if i were a developer in this team would i be satisfied with me acting as ceo or there is something that i would not be happy about and you can like it's sometimes a balance between things that have to be done and things that can be avoided and uh, it's important to identify things that can be avoided when we talk about some, uh, maybe not negative aspects, but like aspects that reduce um, the productivity of the team. Because our biggest focus right now, uh, and especially for me as a CEO, is to make sure that our team is productive, that we deliver, that we have everything we need to deliver what we want to, uh, to deliver. And that includes clear understanding of what the goals are, why we are doing things, uh, not even how we're doing things because uh, first of all we have Richard our CTO for that but also we have an amazing uh, like a set of amazing engineers like a team of amazing engineers uh, in our team and we trust them we believe that if we let them be productive then we'll see the return we expect and they work remotely all of them Yes, we are a fully global, I think, first uh, company. Um, and uh, we have team members in Germany, in Poland, in Estonia, one in Russia, in UK, and I'm in the United States, in New York. Mm-hmm. And do you, uh, I've sort of derailed this from the technical <laughs> no, aspect. Do you have more technical uh, questions you want to ask? About? I, I wanted to talk a little bit about like where you're at today. You have Test Containers Cloud in private beta. Um, mm-hmm. And test containers, open source is still cruising along and, and you all are investing in that and making it mm-hmm. more awesome all the time. Um, what else is exciting or what's upcoming? What's, uh, what, what can you talk about that's, that is you know, on the horizon for, for mm-hmm. test containers? I guess what changed for us when we started the company is that now there is an entity to reach out to because previously it was just a group of people working on a project and you cannot even establish a commercial partnership with them because 
you cannot establish a commercial partnership with with nothing. Just uh, like you need to have this entity. Yeah. And when we started the company, we started getting some uh, requests uh, for partnership by vendors, by uh, other companies uh, who are doing similar things in uh, in our um, space, space of testing and others. And this is great to see because now we have uh, have means of uh, establishing, let's say, programs. So let's say we have modules for technologies, for databases, for Postgres, for Elasticsearch, for Kafka and others. But these modules were mostly created by us and then some contributions by the community. Um, and sometimes you would be surprised, but like we were, we were receiving some great contributions from the community for some commercial modules. So let's say uh, Google Cloud module was contributed, contributed by external contributor who isn't working on Google Cloud, but who was using Google Cloud uh, himself and Edu. Um, he is an active contributor to many open source projects, uh, including a lot of Spring projects. Uh, but he was in Google Cloud and he decided to contribute a module to make it easy to test Google Cloud uh, services with uh, test containers. But one would expect that this module would be uh, the result of cooperation with Google Cloud, let's say. Or Elasticsearch module was uh, being... Uh, we received a lot of contributions from Elastic, like uh, some of the folks at Elastic. Um, and by the way, Test Containers GoLang is currently being co-maintained by uh, an employee from Elastic uh, who are using it extensively and contribute back uh, by maintaining it. Huh. But it was never um, it was never clear whether some of the modules are being maintained by the vendor or just by us. Because if it's a result of a collaboration with vendors, then you trust the module, right? Like you would know that this is exactly how vendor would do it with test containers. While if it's by us, then maybe some things won't be working, or maybe we did something correctly. Because we, uh, the test containers team, uh, we have experience with many technologies, but with not all of them. And sometimes when people were requesting some modules to be added, we had to learn them first to implement them which is a great experience for a software developer because we ended up knowing more technologies than an average developer would know because we had to integrate with all of them. Yeah. But it's still a knowledge to keep in your head. While uh, what we can do now, we can establish this uh, partnership. We can have vendors work with us directly on uh, this vendor-supported uh, modules. I'm not talking about commercial support as in you can go to them, pay them, and then they'll fix your issue. But rather have someone from them uh, um, to work on the module together with us to make sure that um, their users, because we have a lot of database vendors who delegate testing of their technologies to us, um, such as now for j Elasticsearch, Couchbase, uh, Kafka, uh, Apache Pulsar, and others, like a lot of them. Uh, they just recommend test containers when their users want to test their technologies. Um, but now we can have them uh, and we can gain this expertise from them uh, and improve sometimes even uh, improve their technologies, their Docker images, let's say, to make them easier for testing. Because sometimes we apply certain optimizations to make them start faster. Because for testing, you don't need the persistence, let's say. You don't need to write to the file system if you can keep it in memory to make it faster because right. it's testing. And while currently we research these flags and we tune these internal uh, settings, we could have something like development mode by the database 
imagine if every database would co- would come with development mode so that you can start it fast uh, in yeah. ephemeral state, but then uh, you don't need to know how to configure it um, based on production configuration, but rather something for development. Yeah. And some do provide that. That's cool. Yeah, and the, the other thing I'm thinking of along these lines is um, I remember Mark Fleury, uh, founder of, of JBoss, he at one point said that one of the biggest values or maybe the biggest value of open source companies is their brand. And uh, I was thinking about how how maybe an opportunity is that with test containers, let's say that Confluent, um, they... they uh, let's say they, they found value in the test containers brand. Uh, if there was, if test containers could have a brand like organic to use the organic brand, you have to have done a number of things and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, paid money or whatever. But what if Confluent could say, yes, we are test containers certified or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they had to pay money and do, they had responsibilities in order to use that brand. Mm-hmm. But then you could be like, yes, like, like uh, Confluent has, has, has a test container certified, um, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> test container or something would be an interesting option for those, those mm-hmm. vendors. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of uh, the TCK by Oracle. And exactly. then if you want to have a certified Java version, then you need to pass the TCK and to obtain it, you need to pay Oracle. Um, yeah, that's something we may consider doing in the future, um, just as an addition to the, to the platform really that we are building here because test containers is uh, first the first step, uh, but then we will have many more. And our end goal would be to have test containers platform just go to solution for developers and only for developers like we we are developer only company like we focus on developers because that's what matters the most for us and we believe there is a great opportunity there but we want to make sure that every time a developer needs to test their code then we'll provide them all the tools they need to make it easy to make it fast and uh, to not think about the question how do i test but rather focus on writing the test and then getting it green and uh, yeah. making sure that it has the correct thing. Yeah. Integration testing as a service. Remember when that was like the hot thing? It's like every, everybody wanted to be something as, as a, a service. service. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not anymore? Well, now it's serverless. So oh, in, oh, serverless integration testing. That's the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as a yeah. service. So yeah. I, I, thought, I thought as a service was still kind yeah, of it's a still. thing. Or, it's, I mean, it's in the phase of like Uber, but for oh, so right. uh, mm-hmm. t- so Atomic Jar. It's Uber, but for integration tests. <laughs> that doesn't work at all. No, Uber just yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. Uber's kind of got a stain on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been washing that stain we, off. It's it's getting better. So but. you abuse people as a service. <laughs> Ouch. Abuse as a service. Okay. But jokes aside, uh, like 10 years ago, the majority of testing was done with uh, Selenium and browser testing and QA teams automating uh, browsers with Selenium. And when you think about it, test containers to Docker is what Selenium to browsers because yeah. you have browsers as a way of opening web pages. Then you have Selenium to control the web pages and uh, Basically, test containers becomes source labs and browser stack and others for Selenium. We just take these browsers from your machine because then you're no longer, like when you run uh, Selenium tests in your machine, then you need your browser to be open so you're not productive. Uh, While if you can move these browsers to the cloud, uh, then 
Not only we can run it with some exotic browsers, such as Internet Explorer that we cannot run macOS, but um, yeah, it's a it's a similar thing here. But yeah. now that we focus on developers, now that we shifted to the left, then uh, we also talk about uh, the idea of uh, developers being the ones who test and developers are different species. They aren't using the same tools. They aren't doing browser testing. They need some things that is close to what they need to do. And integration testing is a sweet spot because then they understand how to perform it and they need new tools and test containers is the tool here. Yeah, yeah. I think this is burying the lead. This, that's what you need to start with. Uh, test containers is to Docker as Selenium is to yeah. the browser. Yeah, yeah. Good way, that, good that, that kind of is a good starting point. Yeah. yeah, so one other topic I wanted to hit on uh, to wrap up was that uh, I I love using test containers for things that are like open source services. The one gap that I run into is when I am integrating with a SaaS platform like mm -hmm. GitHub or Salesforce or whatever it may be. And that's the place where my integration tests still need to talk to you know the real service because there mm -hmm. is no like github <laughs> like i can't i can't like call the github apis or mm -hmm. get a webhook call like without without using the like real production SaaS service and so i hope that in like five years somehow we're able to like test containerize even those SaaS services in some way so you and could I clone github to your local machine yeah like yeah like somehow somehow github ships with a container that is api compatible with github but is not production github you know mm -hmm. as an example and like you could maybe do this through like mocking their api like i've seen some attempts to like record api calls and then create a service interface that is based on what it saw in the past or something like that but so how do you know. do that um like if i create say a database and then there's the test container for the database and i make some change what what keeps the test container in sync with the change is there any tooling to make sure that or make that happen automatically so when you're writing your integration tests you will just have your your like schema set up and then you'll have some uh some way to bootstrap your your test data or something into the mm -hmm. database. So usually when you write your test, you'll say, here is the setup that I need so that then I can run my test. And as part of that setup, you will define all of the pieces that need to go into your database. That's in you as a user. As, a, as an integration test developer. Right. I'm talking about from their standpoint. So, you know, here's a tool that has been adapted for test containers and then they change their api and do they have uh, to just go by hand and fix the test container oh i think i understand the question okay. uh, like how do we keep our um, definitions mm -hmm. up to date with the evolution of the underlying technologies right. and that's actually a good question because uh, that's day two experience for a testing library, how to keep it in sync with uh, the underlying technology. And while uh, we got lucky with most of the modules that we had uh, that did not require a change uh, in what we do because we operate on this level of abstraction of uh, Docker 
And most of the times their Docker images are compatible because like that's the same way how we start them. The command is implicit, so we don't need to know it, most probably. In some cases, we actually had to add, add some uh, level of compatibility with both versions. And uh, there were some minor cases where we just like uh, a different environment variable we need to set, and then we can just set both because they won't be failing if both are set. But sometimes you also need to go as deep as understanding what the version of the image is, and then depending on the version, you would do uh, different actions. Um, and that's actually the cool thing about uh, test containers being programmatic, being a library versus a tool, because if you had some tool, let's say Docker Compose, then there's nothing you can do because you have this declarative YAML file and everyone loves YAML, of course. Um, uh, and then like, you cannot just do conditional logic based on the image that is being used. Right. And also Docker Compose knows, knows nothing about the underlying technology, nor it, um, nor it is testing oriented. It's general purpose solution. Uh, and we are focused on testing so we can assume things. But in test containers, we can, for example, check the version of the image that is being used. And then if it is uh, compatible with uh, version yeah. three of some database, then we do X. If it's compatible with version four, we do Y. And then this is all part of the startup like, pre-configuration that we yeah. can do prog in programmatic way. Uh, and then we just have this if, else, if, else. Um, so that's how we keep them compatible with uh, the evolution. the container abstraction is leaking uh some something through that then you have to deal with but thankfully in test containers you have the opportunity to deal with that because you've got the programmatic logic to that spins that is controlling the container and its inputs and it all sounds very smart and at a good level of abstraction could you create a build tool now <laughs> yeah that's right please solve the build tool problem yeah, next something to replace gradle with please yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, to compensate uh, that, uh, I also should mention that we weren't always smart about what we do um, because sometimes we managed to leak some of uh, the implementation details, something that we start doing, for example, for local stack, one of the most popular modules for test containers, we were exposing AWS SDK classes. And then what happened is AWS SDK released version two, where they changed uh -huh. the package, changed some implementation details. And now you literally have to bring uh, AWS SDK version one on your class pass just so that it can start. And while it's very unfortunate, uh, we also care a lot about backward compatibility of test containers. I've seen people migrating from test containers 1.4.2, which is I know, four years old, I think, or five years old. Uh, okay, four years old. Um, to the latest and greatest just by changing a version in their uh, build file and nothing else. And um, luckily we had this expertise of how to keep uh, things backward compatible. Uh, but now that we have this promise and we want to keep the promise, we, we cannot just remove some method because it exposes AWS SDK just because we want to support, uh, like we want to get rid of it. But what we always do, we always make it so that it works with the newer version of the SDK. Just, yes, okay. Unfortunately, you have to keep this dependency because uh, that's how it was. But every new module that we create, we uh, set it as a rule that we never expose third-party uh, types yeah, to our public yeah. API. Yeah. And there is also this famous, most famous uh, thing about our API is that we depend directly on JUnit 4. 
because when test containers started six years ago, GUnit 4 was the solution for running tests. And while this dependency is optional, if you think about it, you can start test containers by just uh, doing something like new Kafka container, kafka.start. You don't need JUnit rules for that. You don't need anything from JUnit. You still have to have JUnit 4 on your class pass because we extend directly from one of JUnit classes. And uh, that's yeah. unfortunate. I understand that. We understand that very, very well. And yeah. we have integration with JUnit 5. Uh, there is integration with code test, with color test, and with uh, spec something something for spec, spec 2. Spec 2, yeah. yeah. Um, but you still have to uh, have JUnit 4 in your class pass. Yeah. This is why we are working on a new version of our DSL, uh, of our APIs that would not require GUnit uh, at all. That would be GUnit free, hashtag GUnit free. Um, <laughs> and um, it will solve some other uh, things like uh, recursive generics and uh, others. But that's the result of six years of uh, working on an API for testing. And every time I hear about someone considering just, you know, like doing something like task containers, but uh, from scratch, or, you know, like, uh, why don't you just do it with Kubernetes? Then I only have a smile on my face because yeah. I've been there, done that, and I understand what... Tried and learned your lessons. And... Yes, yes. Uh, what will be next for them, like the issues they will hit next, uh, which also gives us an advantage as a library because we are so ahead with all these things, um, but we always but we're always improving. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, um, we will wrap up on that. But Sergey, thank you so much. So good to learn about test containers. Thank you for making the world of integration testing better. And uh, for those of the listeners that haven't tried test containers or atomic jars, uh, test containers cloud yet, um, it, it's in private beta, the test containers cloud. So you can reach out via the atomic jar website and and give it a try. It's it's amazing. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Sergey.